that was Sailing by Christopher Cross. And it introduces reporter Helen Hayes with the Sydney-based sailor Lisa Blair, who's been named Adventurer of the Year as the first woman to circumnavigate Antarctica that was both solo and unassisted. Lisa took 102 days, beating the previous record by 10 days in her boat named Climate Action Now. Hello, Lisa. How are you? Hi. Thanks for having me on the show. Well, I was so thrilled to see that you won that because I've been following your many exploits over the last (laughs) decade or so. But tell me, I want to know how your love of the ocean started. Uh, So it was completely random, actually. Uh, I grew up in the bush on the Sunshine Coast, so... Um, My mum had gotten into sailing when I was a bit younger, uh, but it wasn't really my thing. And it wasn't until I got a job in the Whitsunday Islands when I was 25 as the cook and the cleaner on a charter boat that I just fell in love with the lifestyle and the adventure that you get out of sailing. And I just dived wholeheartedly into it. So I've actually only been sailing for 12 years. um, You're kidding. Yeah, which is considered a small amount of sailing given the achievements that I've been able to conquer. Wow. So how did you go from being cook and cleaner on a charter boat to managing your own boat, doing all the planning and sailing off into the sunset around the world? Yeah, it was uh, a few leaps and bounds, uh, cut cut some corners out there. Um, I, I sailed from... Small to Hawaii with some friends and that was my first like ocean passage after crewing for that charter company for a year and at the end of that I was just like I want more of this I had no idea where it would take me or what like that world would look like and I eventually signed up and raced around the world with the clipper around the world yacht race a couple of years later and that was my learning opportunity it was 40,000 nautical miles around the planet in a crude yacht race as an amateur sailor and you know that's the opportunity to sort of see the storms in a safer safer environment um, than if I'm on my own and then from that I launched my solo sailing all right and with your solo sailing you have done it all on the same boat uh, most of it, yes. I, I borrowed uh, a boat for the solo Trans-Tasman Yacht Race and then I eventually after that bought my boat and I've done all the other records on my boat, Climate and, Action. Well, tell now. us about your first one and why solo? Do you, um, do you not like having people on board? No, no. Yeah, I come from a crude yacht race around the world to solo sailing. No. Um, I, uh, I finished the Clipper Race and I had been, you know, tested so many times in that race around the world and you know there's so many hurdles and obstacles you have to overcome when you're sailing across a whole ocean and when you're racing across an ocean it's so much more extreme and so for me I came back from that and I was like well how do I challenge myself now what's what's the step up from this and the only thing I could see was if I did it on my own, it would add that extra element of challenge to it all. I wouldn't have someone that could take my watch so I could get a bit of extra rest or, you know, someone to bounce ideas off. And so I, I really wanted to go into solo sailing because of that and just see if I liked it. And so the Trans-Tasman Yacht Race was my sort of entry into solo sailing. And I I had so many mistakes and errors along the way. I have a very steep learning curve. <clears throat> But I loved it and I and I love being in the middle of the ocean on my own and just that sense of accomplishment and achievement that you get from crossing oceans solo. Wow. And what was what was your next um you know, hurdle to get over, your next adventure after that? Well then I 
decided that I was going to sail solo nonstop and unassisted around Antarctica, you know, um, as you small, do, small as goals. You do. Yeah. Um, and it was through the development of that project. So it took me three years to pull that project together. It was my first really large project. I had to work out how to buy a boat. I had to refit the boat for it and then set off. And, um, I had made myself the promise that getting to the start line was like such an achievement. Getting to the finish line was like icing on the top, but getting to the start line was like I had already succeeded kind of thing because it was so difficult to raise that much money to do a project like that. Um, And then, unfortunately, 72 days into the record, I dismastered and nearly died at sea a bunch of times and ended up having to divert to Cape Town in in South Africa. Wow. Well, you better elaborate on this. Yeah, well, (laughs) I eventually, um, you know, was able to cut the mast free from the boat. So the mast is the bit that the sails stick up from the boat from. And um, it broke in a storm. So it was six metre seas, well, six to eight metre seas and sort of 30 to 40 knots of wind. And um, it's, it's very likely in a situation like that, if you leave the mast attached in those sorts of storm conditions, that you'll probably sink the boat through that night. And um, in my case, I was a thousand nautical miles from land and so and in freezing temperatures in the Southern Ocean. So if I lost the boat, I was more than likely to lose my life. Um, So the only way I could survive was to keep the boat floating. And and that put me into a a pretty amazing life or death situation. I wrote a book about it called Facing Fear, which Australian Geographic published. And um, yeah, and, and so that was like just the hugest learning curve. But I came back from that record uh, and I managed to restart the record from Cape Town and finish it with one stop so I officially became the first woman in the world to do the record with one stop but um, I you know it it changed my relationship with the sea it changed my relationship to my boat took away a lot of my trust in my experience and my um, my knowledge base and it gave me a lot as well because it, it showed me that my preparation and my planning was correct and that's why I survived. Mm. So it, it was a bit of a, a, a big hurdle to get past that point to then go again on that record five years later. Oh, I reckon. And you, do you still have a little... Do you, are you still haunted by that a little bit? I was for many years. Um, I'm past it now. Uh, and writing the book actually really helped because I didn't. I came back with so many bills and debt, and I had no time to process. I just had to make ends meet so I didn't lose the boat. And you know, it was just this struggle. So I didn't have any time to sort of sit down and go through it and process it. But writing the book forced me to sit down and do that. And uh, and at the end of that and the Australia record, which I did um, in between, I sailed solo around in Australia, you know, as you do. And um, yeah, and that, that was part of that reason of doing that record was to rebuild my trust in the boat and, and you know, go through more sailing in a closer to land environment so that I could, right. you know, build that back up. Yeah. Okay. So do you... When you were there, the, you said a few near-death experiences, and I don't want to harp on it too much, but what does go through your head when you are facing a potential end of life? It's funny because in that scenario, it was very reactionary. There was no choice but to do this X, Y, Z. Um, and I didn't have a lot of time in that emergency to reflect or to process or to acknowledge that fact. Um, and there was one moment where I had to go out over the bow rail and sit on the bowsprit at the very front of the boat, which basically meant I was exposed to 
six to eight meter breaking wave. So if you imagine like a three-story building as a wave smashing into the boat, they're so strong that they throw the boat about 50 meters every time they hit the boat and then they engulf the boat in white water. So your ability to just stay attached to the boat is greatly reduced. I was already showing pretty extensive signs of hypothermia. So I was losing dexterity in my fingers. I was slowing down my my connection between my hands and my brain was breaking down. Um, And basically time was running out. And and I recall very vividly um, calling my shore manager up to tell him I was going to climb out there. And, you know, if my PLB, my my emergency location beacons activated, it's because I've been swept off the boat. And then I hung up the phone and I had to crawl to the bow of the boat And I got about two meters from the bow and I just froze completely. Like I locked up and I could not force myself to move like another inch further forward because I knew it was certain death. But I had a 50-50 shot of survival climbing out on that bowsprit and I had a guaranteed death if I didn't. So it was like I still didn't have that processing time. I just knew my reality of, you know, maybe surviving the next five minutes was so slim. Um, But you just didn't have a choice. Yeah. Well, I'm glad you're still here. Yeah, <laughs> me too. <laughs> so when you went around Australia, how just, just so we get an idea, how long did that take you? Uh, so that was 58 days. And surprisingly, even though Antarctica is in most people's minds the bigger record, Australia is more technically difficult and more dangerous as a solo sailor to undertake. So there's a higher probability of failure in the Australia record. Um, so I did solo, non-stop and unassisted around Australia in my yacht, which is called Climate Action Now, and she's like a 50-foot monohull sailing boat. And that meant for 58 days, I didn't sleep for more than 20 minutes in a single sleep. And every 20 minutes, I have to scan the horizon for traffic, for boats, for other um, reefs, rocks, islands, anything like that. Um, and so because of that high level of exhaustion, and you're error factor goes up through the roof and I did wake up one time with just like this complete feeling of dread in my stomach and I didn't know what had woken me but I just woke up and launched myself out of the hatch and onto the deck of the boat and there was like a cliff face directly in front of me and I'd slept through my alarm once and I was sailing straight to a beach and luckily the motion of the ocean had changed just enough that I'd woken up because you get such a sensitivity to how the boat moves in those like with that level of exposure and uh and it had woken me up and I was able to tack away before it (laughs) ran aground but yeah so so the chance and just the amount of traffic like you're fishing guys that head out in a little fiberglass half cab boat and they they're five mile ten mile offshore right in the middle of your pathway you can't see them they don't show up on radar they fall between the dips yeah. of the waves you know so there's so many probabilities for accidents and error on a trip like that so even though it was something that i did after antarctica there was a lot of debate before i did antarctica about whether i did that record first and i decided to do it after because I knew it was going to be more challenging and wow. more chance of failure. So how long, where did you leave from? How many days did it take? What were the highlights of your Antarctic adventure? So, um, yeah, so five years later, I redid the Antarctica record, which is what I just finished yes. this year. Um, so in February this year from Albany in Western Australia, I sailed solo nonstop, got the nonstop record um, around Antarctica, and I broke the overall speed record by 10 days. Wow. So the original record was set by a Russian sailor, Fedor Konyakov. He's like 
one of the most incredible adventurers. He's done Everest like four times, around the world solo four times, rode a rowboat from Chile to Australia, hot air ballooned around the world, like just done the most insane projects. And he set the record in 2008. And when he did it, he competed on a racetrack called the Antarctica Cup Ocean Racetrack, which was Albany to Albany and sticking between the latitudes of 45 degrees south and 60 south in the Southern Ocean. So it meant that once I entered onto that technical racetrack, I couldn't go north of 45 degrees south and I couldn't go south of 60. I had to stay within that belt. And that belt's actually where all those big storms roll through. So you're in the middle of that storm zone the whole time. So it basically means that on a weekly basis, I'm getting a storm the size of a cyclone, a hurricane, roll over the boat. Oh, my gosh. For three months straight. (laughs) Which was the worst one? Um, I had a couple doozies. I uh, Just coming up to Cape Horn um, on the southern end, like the final sort of five days of the South Pacific Ocean, I had a period of like five or six days where I had four major storms come through just back to back one after another they just kept rolling through and I was getting knockdowns left right and center where where the mast was hitting the ocean or going further and I'd been flipped to like 140 degrees over 150 degrees over oh, geez. Um, so that was pretty severe because it was so extensive as well it was for the full five days I'm in those conditions so I was like tying myself into my bunk to ride it out or I was sitting in my nav station which is the smallest space on my boat so I'm not tossed across the cabin when we get struck by a wave Um, and then also in the South Atlantic Ocean I copped a really big storm and it actually flipped the boat upside down Um, so the keel was up and the mast was down and then it flooded into the boat it ripped the hatch out and flooded about 20 buckets of water into the boat and um yeah so that was pretty critical i almost lost my batteries in that which was um would have been devastating yeah yeah Yeah, i don't (laughs) even think about that so who's coming sailing with me oh well yeah i'll I'll go in sydney harbour with you (laughs) now we need to talk about um well well, let's cover your next adventure what what's next because obviously you're not going to be happy to sit around and do nothing so what's next well for me um sailing's become a really great avenue for education around climate action now which is why my boat's called climate action now and i run this really cool community project where people can send me in a post-it note message and each post-it note is an environmental action on something that they're already doing towards a better future um so because of that i definitely want to do more records like there's there's just such a long list of projects i want to do sorry mum um <laughs> and uh so next year i'm currently trying to raise the sponsorship for a sydney to auckland speed record for next year um the current record stands at 12 days by a, a has a melbourne sailor i think he is called james um and i want to also then put together over the course of next year a record going solo non-stop and unassisted around the arctic circle which has currently never been done before um and it's something i was starting to plan like five years ago after the first record but i knew i needed to revisit antarctica again and rebuild the boat trust up and everything before i tackled the arctic so um now now it feels like the time and it's only technically possible because of climate change so so where would you start from well that's to be decided i haven't i haven't got any firm ideas on that likely france or the uk um but it could be one of you know the norway or you know Mm. canada like I, i have no locked 
visions on that yet. Um, it's still extremely early stages and I've got a long, yeah. long, it's going to be a couple of years in development, that project. So, um, you know, it, it, it'll decide itself as we kind of go along. Well, the climate change message is obviously at the forefront of most things that you do. Mm-hmm. So I've seen your boat and it, do, it looks so amazing with all the post-it notes yeah. on it. So what are some of the other things you want to achieve in that climate change sustainability area well uh i'm doing these unique records in the most isolated regions so even on this last antarctica record i partnered with a number of different scientific research groups so we undertook microplastic sampling 24 7 um, ocean health data i deployed weather drifter boys i logged my depth for the seabed 2030 program Um, so i'm coordinating with a lot of different scientific groups in and around what science i can do and deliver on as a citizen science on my records so the arctic project particularly will be very interesting to get a corresponding set of data scientifically speaking to match what data i was able to collect out of the southern ocean um, and and see what that looks like Um, and it's a set of data that scientists can't get very easily because it's the complete loop of the arctic or the antarctic Um, wow so that's been awesome and then I am looking to build a boat for the Arctic record out of volcanic fiber. Um, There's a few groups doing it. There's a guy doing a figure of eight of the planet um, on a boat called Antarctic Lab in uh, England. And he's built a boat out of volcanic fiber, a 60 foot uh, boat around the mocha kind of class of boats and he's trying to sail that in a figure of eight around the planet going around the arctic and antarctic oh sorry around the americas and antarctic and so i've been following his project for a number of years and uh, i think there's a lot of capacity to advance boat building techniques into more sustainable measures and so i want to use the arctic project as a case study and as a platform to build that sustainability out into mainstream production boat building oh that's a fantastic thing if you could but volcanic fiber it sounds fascinating yeah it's a it's an incredible material it's 10 times stronger than fiberglass for about 15 to 20 percent the cost and we should talk about australian geographic obviously they've got such a great history and tradition with adventuring and they've sponsored so many great people and their adventures over the years so adventure of the year what does that mean to you uh, it's pretty special. So I've had a long-standing relationship with Australian Geographic Society. They were one of the first grant um, people to sponsor my record as a grant for the Nancy Bird Walton grant back in um, 2015 and then again, uh, sorry, 2017 and then again this year for this project. Um, they published my book, Austra- uh, Facing Fear, yeah. and uh, I was awarded the Spirit of Adventure for the first record in 2017. Mm. Um, so to get the ultimate like Adventure of the Year records, pretty special. Like Australia, as a nation, we put out quite a lot of adventurers. We're a very adventuristic kind of community of people. <clears throat> and so to be honoured in such a way is just you know incredible I, you see some of the greatest adventurers that have ever lived coming through and being recognized with this award and i just think that that's so special and yeah. um you know they have such a good philosophy of supporting adventurers and conservation and i think that's really incredible and should be supported in return and if any of our listeners want to support you have you got a website you'd like yes. to promote 
So when I'm on project, <clears throat> sorry, my throat's going. <clears throat> when I'm on project, there's uh, live trackers on the website. I blog daily. All the blogs and everything from the last Antarctica record are up there still, so you can check that out. Um, so the website is lisablairsalestheworld.com. Um, if you just type in Lisa Sailing Antarctica, anything like that into Google, you'll find me. Well, thank you so much for talking to Travel Riders Radio and good luck. Thank you so much. Really appreciate it. Reporter Helen Hayes there speaking with Lisa Blair, who's recently named Adventurer of the Year in recognition of her sailing achievement. This is the Travel Rider Show on J Air 88 FM in Melbourne.